This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Samuel chapter 16, if you could just find that just for a moment, 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll give you the verses in it just in a moment. God is looking for people with special qualities. And he's finding them in every church, in every fellowship, in every gathering where God's people are. And they look so ordinary. In fact, you may be sitting beside one right now. Or better still, you may be one. You cannot tell these qualities just by looking at them. Only time and opportunity uh, will reveal them. And these special qualities are not for the select few. They're not for God's blue eyes. Yet they are only for those who earnestly and continually seek after them. Remember Jesus spoke about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. In other words, pursuing it diligently. So many things in our spiritual lives we have to pursue actively and diligently. It's not just automatic. What are these qualities that God is looking for in our lives? First of all, a prepared heart. A prepared heart. First Samuel 16. This is the story where Samuel was commanded by God to go and anoint a king. People wanted a king. And so he told him to go. And whenever he got there, in verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And you know how Samuel went on then to look at all the sons that came before him until finally he found David who became a man after God's own heart. So God always, ever starts with the heart. Not with the abilities, not with the talents, not with the giftings, but with the heart. That's what God looks at. That's what he looks for. In Judges chapter 7, the story of Gideon, and how that Gideon was called to defeat the Midianites in the land. And as you know, Gideon was quite fearful of that. He didn't think he was the right person to do it. He didn't know how in the world he was going to do it. And uh, God encouraged him. And so he went out to raise up an army. 
And try as he may, and he tried hard, he only came up with 32,000. <clears> In fact, towards the end of chapter 6, it tells us, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. The Abiasites gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulon, to Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Whenever you look at those four tribes, actually, altogether, they were able to have 212,000 men of fighting age, but yet only 32,000 volunteered. So that must have been a little bit discouraging right there. But he's going to be discouraged much more because God said that's too many. And you know how if you read down in that chapter 7, you'll see that God tested those 32,000. And he tested them. And first of all, he inquired about how fearful they may be of any of them was being afraid. Whoever is fearful, this is verse 3 of chapter 7. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And so his army is being drastically reduced, but that was still too many for God to get the glory. And so he gave him another test about how to drink the water from the river, and we all know that reduced that to 300. So the point I'm making in this While Gideon was counting heads, God was counting hearts. And we do that, don't we? If God asks us to do something, the first thing we do, what resources have I got? What can I put my hand to? But for God to get the glory, often it's very little. If he's going to get the glory. If it was a lot, then we would get it. It would be our ability, it would be our strategies, it would be our ability to command. But when you haven't got any of that, then God gets the glory. But you see, out of that 32,000 that volunteered, there was only 300 that God was going to count on. And God was looking at the heart. Gideon was counting the heads. What kind of heart is a prepared heart? It's a pliable heart. That means to say it's not hard, it's not unyielding, it's not unbending, it's malleable. God can work with a heart that's not hard. Hard hearts take no advice, accept no change, give no quarter. It's hard to work with hard hearts. Job said, for God makes my heart soft. Pharaoh had a hard heart. And the more plagues come on him, the harder his heart grew. I was watching one of those documentaries about the last war recently. Lots of them on. And it talked about Hitler in the last days and his when he was holed up in Berlin. He was still 
giving out the orders for his armies to fight, even though his top generals were telling him it's impossible. We're defeated. Quit. But he was so hard-hearted, it didn't matter to him. He would not take advice from his top generals on the field, at the front, to the point even where he put out the youth Hitler group who were just young kids, maybe 14, 15, 16-year-old children, to die in the streets of Berlin while he was in the bunker. Such was the hardness of his heart. We're all very familiar with Jeremiah 18, the story of the potter. And we know that as the potter was working on the wheel and he was molding the clay, that there was a a fault in the clay, but rather than throw it away because it was still moldable and malleable. So he took the flaw out of it and he made it again into another vessel. But how many has ever read Jeremiah 19? Jeremiah 18, he's talking about (coughs) Judah, the people of God. And he's given them an opportunity. He's saying, look, I, I, can, I can do this with my nation. I, I, I can help them. I can rebuild them. I can remold them and reshape them. But when you go into chapter 19, by this time they are hard-hearted, unyielding, adamant in their worship of idols. And there was only one thing for that, And that was for them to be broken. And so he gives Jeremiah another instruction. He says, take a a flask with you and go to the valley of Hinnom, the place of the pot shred. And if you read on down that chapter, he told him to break it, shatter it, because it was unworkable. It wasn't soft anymore wasn't pliable. It was hard. Refused to change. God said, you're going to be broken. You're going to be smashed. You're going to be broken. You're going to be taken into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. And so God is looking for a pliable heart. Never let our hearts become hardened. And it's easy for that to happen. Something can get in, and if we don't deal with it, it begins to harden our hearts. And then you find when that part of your heart's hard, it's easier for the other parts to get hardened with something else and something else and something else. How many Christians has walked away from church and walked away from God and become hard and cynical? I know backsliders today who are worse than they were before they ever made a profession of faith. They're so hard. So we need to avoid that. We need to have a pliable heart. A prepared heart is a pliable heart. A prepared heart is a pure heart. Not contaminated. Sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the reins. And so God is looking for a pure heart. Titus 1 and 5, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto those who are defiled is nothing pure, even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Now you see this all the time on, on television. You'll see people who, no matter what anybody says, they'll get something vile out of it. They'll twist it some way to make it impure or rude or dirty. Why? Because that's what their heart's like. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul writes to Timothy, the young pastor, and says, keep yourself pure. Watch your heart. The old-aged apostle John, 1 John 3 and 3, he says, be you pure even as he is pure. So many things around us today that challenges that, isn't it? We are constantly bombarded with impurity. The stuff that contaminates our spirit. What we look at, what we listen to, what we see. So we need to keep our hearts pure. But this also relates to motive. The motive of our hearts. Because all of us can do a lot of things, supposedly for the kingdom of God, but what is the motive? Because God tests the motive. That's what he looks for. In Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, uh, reading from verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. Defile your spirit, that is. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he, entered, when he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside can't defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so it's important that 
we keep our hearts right, that we keep our motives right, that we keep our attitudes right. Not so easy to do, but important that we do it. It's so easy to get caught up, isn't it? And all kinds of things and thoughts and ideas and attitudes. Hmm. It's a fight, isn't it? And so God is looking for a pliable heart. He's looking for a pure heart. He's looking for motives to be right and to be kept right. In Luke 11, he says, if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. That's speaking about motive too. If your eye is single, if your eye is good, if it's not double and it's clear, then the whole body's full of light. If our spiritual eye is single, then our spirit is full of light. He's also looking for a passionate heart, not a cold heart, not a lukewarm heart. The world is passionate. Everybody, everybody in here is passionate about something. Some are passionate about food. How do I know that? Because on Facebook, every meal you take, you take a photo of it. <laughs> the scripture says, whose God is their belly. <laughs> I don't take photos of it, but I just like to eat it. For some, it's fashion. For some, it's fitness. For some, it's family. Their passion is their family, their kids. Love them to bits. See the mothers in here, like mother hens, with their children, their wee brood, passionate about their kids. Want them to do well at school. Want them to do well at life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a passionate passion. Some it's their career, their job, some it's music, some it's movies. But everybody is passionate about something. Say, well, I'm not a very emotional person. Not talking about that. <coughs> talking about what do you really, really, really like? What really gets you going? Hmm? What do you spend your energy on? What do you spend your money on? You start to drill down into all of that, you'll find what you're passionate about. Because that's what's going to take up your time and your effort and your money and your energies. But what are we spiritually passionate about? Samus said in Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. I am passionate about God's house. Always have been. Say, so that's because you're a pastor. No, no, no. Always have been. 
before it was ever even remotely involved in God's work, I loved the house of God. But now that I am involved in it, my wife tells me, she told me one time, the weeds in our garden were about a foot high. And she says, David, she was frustrated one day, she says, David, if those weeds were down that church, you'd be down there right now, and your hands and knees plucking them out. <laughs> I says, you're right. <laughs> I don't want any weeds in church. That's <laughs> true. It's true. And there's many of you like that. I don't even have to think if you're going to be here. The danger of that is you get taken for granted. There's big Gary McPherson. Stan's playing that saxophone. It would never, ever enter my mind, I wonder if Gary McPherson going to be here today. Not sure. Never even enter my mind. And I could say that about a whole bunch of you. And thank God for you. Or we couldn't have a church. It wouldn't be a church. Except there's people who's passionate. But having church. That doesn't mean to, time, mean to say every time you come in here, it's wonderful and you love it and it's great and you feel it. But you have a dedication. You have a heart. And you understand what it's about. David says, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. Hmm. There's a couple of ways you can look at that, but some of the commentators say that David, when he was on the run, and he's on the run a couple of times, Saul tried to hound him down to kill him. His own son Absalom tried to do that too. And some say it was when he was on the run. He thought about the deer that was being hunted. And the deer was being hunted, but the deer looked for the river, looked for the pool of water where it could dive in and feel safe from the predator. And God wants us to want his presence, to feel safe in his presence to know his presence, whether that's in the house of God, whether that's in your bedroom or in your car or wherever you have your devotions. Jeremiah says, your word was like a fire shut up in my bones. He was passionate about God's word. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I cannot do anything but preach the gospel. Those who have the heart of an evangelist are like that. I've told you often about Bob McAllister. Bob wouldn't talk to anybody five minutes without introducing the gospel. Doesn't matter who it is whether it's the milkman or the coal man, the bread man or whoever it is, he'll enter just the gospel. I heard him one night in the garage up the street. He didn't see me behind him. He didn't know I was there. 
He was about, I think it was buying paper or something. And just before he reached the money, he says to the girl, he says, now he says, just before I give this, can I just tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> and there was a cue behind him. And she or she thought, no, sir, <laughs> please don't do this. But he went anyway and he did do it. I heard him one time down in the, <laughs> down in the, the mall in Lisburn. That was the time they, there was a volunteer organization and they were giving stuff out free. No, they're giving stuff out. No, they're trying to get people signed up for something. And I heard Bob saying, he didn't see me, and I heard him saying, but this is free. I'm offering you this free of charge. There's no cost to this. <laughs> and he was sharing the gospel with them. Paul says, woe of me as I preach not the gospel. He just could not prevent himself from sharing the gospel. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am straightened, how I am pained until it is accomplished. And that baptism is a baptism of suffering, of the cross that he knew was coming and he was heading towards. And he says, I must do this. I'm pained until this is accomplished. Aren't you glad he had a passion to go to the cross? In Revelation chapter 3, the Lord speaks into the lives of those seven churches in Asia Minor. And he speaks to the last one, Laodicea. He says, I wish you were either cold or hot. But he says, you're neither. You're just lukewarm. If only you were cold or hot, but you're neither. <coughs> Therefore, I will spew you out of my mouth. What are you passionate about? If you read Psalm 119, you'll see that David was very passionate, so passionate about God's word that he wrote the longest psalm in the Bible, and all of it is about God's word. He just couldn't think of enough ways to describe his passion, his love, his appreciation for the Word of God. He says, it's like honey. <laughs> it tastes like honey to me. That's what he said. And so, a prepared heart is a passionate heart. A prepared heart is a protected heart. Not a careless heart. Carefree heart but not a careless heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. So in other words, we've got to protect it. Why? Because there's all kinds of stuff wanting to get in there and sow its seeds. There's all kinds of fiery darts the enemy throws at us to hit our heart. So he says we have to protect it. He's given us a shield of faith for that, hasn't he? In Philippians chapter 4, Paul helps us. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Will garrison the Roman soldiers he would see many, many times in his travels. He would see a cohort with all of their armor who would stand guard maybe at the palace door or the army barracks and there was no getting through that guard. So he says, if we're not anxious and we pray, we make our supplications and we're full of thanksgiving, he says the peace of God will come and it will stand around our hearts and our minds and guard them. Paul wasn't speaking in a vacuum here. We all know, we have read about Paul and all his journeys and his missionary journey, all the stuff that happened to him. So he's not just saying this out of the top of his head. He's been through it. He knows what he's talking about. And then he goes on to encourage us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Fix your mind on these things. Why? To keep the heart protected. So God is looking for a prepared heart. But he's also looking for a presented body. A presented body. We looked there at at Proverbs chapter 4, or we mentioned it. But whenever you look at it, there's just a little section there that's interesting. We quoted that verse in the middle. Verse 20 says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Notice here the body parts. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, but perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Your feet your eyes, your mouth, your lips, your heart. Notice the many bodily references there. Why? Because we are a spirit. We live in a body. We have a soul. And you can't separate them. We are uniquely made that way. One part affects the other, doesn't it? You don't believe me? Try praying when you've got the toothic. You never felt less like praying or praising if you have got a howling toothache. Sure you haven't. <laughs> a presented body. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1 and 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. Which is your spiritual service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Whenever Abraham took his son up Mount Moriah, he wasn't a wee boy. He was a young man, fit and strong. Whenever Abraham tied him to put him onto that altar, you can be sure Isaac was compliant. He was not resistant. He could have been, but he wasn't. And on that altar, there he was, a living sacrifice. Presented unto God as a living sacrifice. In the end, we know he didn't have to die. Aram was caught in the thicket, and God accepted that. But that was proof and evidence. Abraham's great faith, Isaac presented himself through his dad as a living sacrifice. It's the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament. There's another living sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross, offered himself wholly and completely as a living sacrifice for us. Only in that instance, he did die, and he didn't have to die, but thank God he rose again. (laughs) So right now in heaven, we have a living sacrifice for our sins the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sits at the right hand of the Father, whoever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Paul says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a lot of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. But Isaac was a living one, not a dead one. So God wants us to present ourselves, our bodies, our hands, our mouth, our feet, our abilities, our gifts, our talents, whatever we have as a living sacrifice unto God to be used for his glory. Amen. So every time you offer up a part of yourself for the kingdom of God to do God's work, whatever that may be, to that degree, you're a living sacrifice. You present it, your body. The word witness is martus, which is where we get martyr from. We're called to be witnesses unto him. A witness was someone who lived or died for Jesus. Not somebody who just spoke in a court, but a martyr. Someone who lived or died for Jesus. Chances of us being called to die for Jesus is probably 
slim, depending which country you live today. But we're all called to live for him. We're all called to be living sacrifices for him, to offer up ourselves for his glory, for his good, for his kingdom. Body, mind, spirit. So God's looking for a prepared heart, presented body. Finally, a providing hand. (laughs) A providing hand. Some people has long arms and short arms and long pockets, not it? Never can seem to get right down to the bottom of the pocket. <laughs> Tight as the bark on a tree. Tight as two coats of paint. And that's pretty tight, isn't it? God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to be open-hearted and generous. You'll never, ever outgive God in a million years. He'll find a way to bless you if you've got a generous spirit. And there's some people who have that real spirit of generosity that give you the shirt of their back, wouldn't they? Wouldn't think twice about it. If there's a need, they'll be the first to try to meet that need. A giving hand. Have you got a giving hand? Are you the type that would be quick to reach out? Now I know when doing that you can be burned and I know there's plenty of talk today about beggars on the streets and they're in gangs and all the rest of it. And there may be some truth to all of that. I don't know. But if you heard of somebody with a need and you had the ability to try to help that need and meet that need, would you be the type of person who would do that? Because that's what God's looking for. Sarah has told us several times from this platform when they go to that woman's refuge center and they go with their packages and their little parcels and they're pampering them and just try to be a blessing to them, how much that means to those women, doesn't it, Sarah? Who has been battered and abused and ill-treated and mistreated, spoken to horribly, put down continually. And what a blessing it is for a bunch of ladies to go in there and just say, look, we're just here because we want to help. We just want to love you and want to bless you. And what a difference that makes. I know there's some of you absolutely love to do that. And Sarah's got a heart to do that. And that's why she's brought others along. And those of you who went, you thoroughly enjoyed it. You got a blessing just in doing that. Because you can't outgive God. And it'll come back in so many different ways if you've got a giving hand. A providing hand is a giving hand. It's a, it's a guiding hand. Some people just need a little bit of guiding. Just a wee bit of encouragement along the way. And some of you are encouragers. <laughs> you just want to encourage, don't you? You want to help along the way. There's Fania where we letters to people and are we notes and are we chats. Why? Just to encourage, to help to guide. 
providing hand is a guardian hand. It brings instruction and correction and care when needed. Not everyone is going to appreciate that. <laughs> Not everyone is going to want your instruction or your correction or your advice. But if you really care and you're a providing hand, you'll do it nonetheless. Maybe through back in your face, but there's going to be somebody who'll thank God that you spoke to them and encouraged or corrected or instructed or cared. Because that's the way we do with our children, isn't it? Our children doesn't always like it. I didn't like it either when I was growing up. But boy, I needed it. I needed it. And my mother, bless her, she was good at giving it. Because my father was very deaf. He never heard me cheeking. Well, he did once, actually. He caught me once cheeking my mother. And I never, ever saw my dad angry to that day. And he was really angry. And he hit me the biggest kick in the backside I ever got. And I thought, I'm going to be smarter the next time. I'm going to make sure if I'm cheeking, <laughs> he'll, not, he'll not be looking at me. <laughs> But I needed the kick in the backside. God is looking for a prepared heart, a presented body, and a providing hand. Those are the qualities that are available to us all. But we have to want them. And we have to work on them. We have to pursue them. And we're not there yet. Sure we're not. We might have got somewhere along that journey. We may be better in some parts than other parts, but we're aiming. We're not lowering our aim. Sure, we're not. We're going forward looking to improve continually with the help of God and with the Spirit of God and with the wisdom of God and with the mercy and grace of God. Because if it wasn't for God's mercy and grace, where would we be tonight? I certainly would not be standing here preaching to you lot. That's for sure. But God's mercy and grace... Help me. And he's helping you too. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do need your spirit. We need your Holy Spirit to make us and shape us and mold us, to sanctify us, to make us the men and women and boys and girls that you want us to be in this life. So we ask that the Holy Spirit work in each of our hearts, work in my heart, work in your heart. We ask the Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us and guide us and guard us and help our hearts to be pure and our motives to be right. So, Lord, that our witness will be a good witness. We know our imperfections. We know our weaknesses. 
But Lord, help us so that our witness is a good witness unto Jesus. That someone will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we give you thanks. We bless you and we praise you for who you are, for what you're doing in each of our lives. You're working on us continually. And we say, Lord, please continue to do that. And we'll give you the glory. And we'll give you all of the honor. And we'll praise you for every good work you've done in each of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.